Okay, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by my first ever Canadian guest. Uh, I'm joined by Cohen McCaslin uh, from the punk rock band Sum 41. So thanks very much for coming on, Cohen. Oh, I'm honoured. First Canadian. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> we, we've had a few Americans, uh, uh, a couple of English and Scots, but yes, definitely the, the first Canadian we've had on. So it's, that's, that's a pleasure. That's cool. So what's what's been happening with you guys recently? You, you've obviously in the in the band Sum Forty One, which I believe most people on here will be very familiar with that are, are tuning in today. But yeah, what's been happening with the band? Well, we just uh, came out with a new album called Order and Decline, July nineteenth. Um, we started kind of touring again this year in March with some um, you know just some one off dates and a couple of little tours. Uh, we took about six months off prior to that to, you know, finish the album, finish writing and recording. And so now we're just kind of on, um, some off time. We have about six weeks off right now to just kind of be home and get ready for what's going to be a, a crazy year and a half, two year tour for order and decline. And that starts in the U S, um, in, uh, late September. Fantastic. Where are, where are you kicking off in the U S because I suppose it's, it's such a big place that you pick like the West Coast and then the East Coast or how do you plan out your tours? Yeah, we, I mean, over the years, since we've toured the U.S. so much, I think we've kind of um, begun to realize what, you know, parts of the U.S. Um, like us. <laughs> you sure, know, like sure. our, our style of music seems to work really good in certain parts. Um, so I, I think we're actually starting with a festival in Kentucky and then we kind of do the East Coast and the West Coast and a little bit through the Midwest. Um, and so it's going to run for about five weeks in the U.S. Okay. And then uh, and then we take a week off and do um, uh, all through, we're going through Canada in November with uh, us, Offspring, and a U.K. band called Dinosaur Pileup. Brilliant. That would be fantastic. I'd imagine, I, I don't know for you, but I know that before, without blowing your trumpet too much, Sum 41 was certainly a band that I grew up, I grew up listening to, but... Before that, the Offspring were really the band that kicked it all off for me. You know, it was that was the, the band that almost got me into wanting to play bass guitar or play guitar and, and get involved with music. Yeah, I actually, uh, Offspring and actually Green Day, like Smash and Dookie, in that, when they came out in '94, I was 14 years old, and those were really the first two, I guess, like punk albums I ever bought and listened to endlessly. So. Yeah, I think Offspring and Green Day were pretty pretty much the first punk bands I ever heard in my life. I suppose growing up in Canada, what what was it like then? Because you, you is it Toronto you're from, Cohen? Uh, yeah, it was a suburb of Toronto called Ajax, which is like forty minutes outside of Toronto. Um, I live down I live downtown Toronto now, but I grew up. You know, I spent twenty years in Ajax growing up. And was that like uh, when when you were growing up? Did you always know that you wanted to be in a band, or was it uh, just something that upon you uh somewhat like when i was going from elementary school into high school um i just kind of we start you know my friends and i just started a band and uh i started playing bass because they didn't have a bass player so they i was it was kind of one of those things where if i wanted to be in the band i just have to play bass and i didn't actually even know what the bass was i just kind of begged my mom to take me to, <laughs> lo- to the local music store and i just asked the guy i said i need a, a bass guitar and uh, sure. he he pointed to the to pointed to the section, and I uh, my mom was nice enough to buy me um, this really cheap black bass. Um, 
And then, so from there, it's kind of, you know, it was just one of those things where we were just kind of practicing in basements and garages for years and years and years. Um, and it was kind of like a grunge band. And then in high school, I met, you know, Derek and Steve and Dave, and they're also in different bands. And we play together at basement shows and little club shows around town. And Sum 41 kind of started in 96, like two years after that. And I was still in my other band. And uh, yeah, I think throughout high school, I started realizing that I really wanted to play music. But it was, you know, we lived in such a small town and it, did, it didn't seem like a reality at the time. It was, yeah. one of the, it was one of those things that you're a teenage kid and you're like, wow, wouldn't this be great to be a musician as a career? But you never really entered in your mind that you could actually do it um, until I kind of, you know, joined Sum 41 in 1998. Then it kind of dawned on me that maybe this was kind of something that we could do because we got, we started getting so much label interest in 99 um, after sending us demos and all these videos of us screwing around in our hometown. Um, all of a sudden we had, you know, labels coming up and seeing us play on a weekly basis. And uh, then it kind of, you know, then it was like one of those things like, wow, this could be a reality, at least for a few years. Like, who, you, you know, we didn't, we were 18, 19 years old. We didn't really think past a couple of weeks or months ahead. So we think, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool that we have all this interest. Maybe we could do this for a few years. And, uh, and at, you know, at that point, it just, it just brought out Half Hour of Power then. That was your, was that your debut album back in 98, 99, was it? Uh, well, Half Hour Power came out in 2000. We got signed in 1999 um, to Island Def Jam and Aquarius in Canada. And then we put out Half Hour Power in 2000, which was just essentially our live set at the time. We were just playing. We were playing that set, like front to back. We'd start with Machine Gun and end with Another Time Around. And so the idea was just to go record this little EP um, to tour and be able to sell something off stage when we toured. And uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really supposed to be anything big or, you know, there was no big push behind it. We just wanted to tour it. Brilliant. And what what, yeah. what what do you think was the, the key to the rise and success? Because then all Killer No Filler came out almost with a bit right and saying about a year later. And it was it plummeted you all over oh sorry, it rocketed you all over the world, didn't it? it was... Yeah, uh yeah, luckily it didn't plummet us, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no. yeah, no, uh I don't know. You know, we just we got lucky. It was a, it was a, it was the right time for bands like us. You know, Blink had come out. Um there was a lot of bands in our genre that were just we just all kind of fit into this genre which people started calling pop punk um yeah. you know that was kind of a media thing that they started just saying and uh you know it was very big at the time and you know all labels were looking for bands like us and like blink and uh you know i, I guess fat lip fat lip was really the one in the u.s that took off um right away like you know alternative rock radio and 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 MTV just started playing Fat Lip and Pain for Pleasure. And uh, that really just, it changed things for us, like almost overnight, even though we had been touring for a long time and try, building this kind of underground following with Half Hour Power for, um, you know, we started touring the States in 99, but we'd also been touring Canada a bunch before that. And, uh, but when Fat Lip came out, it just, everything changed. I feel that it was almost at that time, Cohen, where it was still, certainly in the UK, from our perspective, it was a time off. You know, music videos were a massive thing, and I remember tuning into Krang and and listening for the you know the latest music video or the latest song. And with some forty one, the videos were always so engaging, um, as, as well as the music. So it was something that I don't know was that something that you had an input in making because I know that you had, the into deep video was brilliant. Was that the one that you were jumping off the uh, the top of the diving boards and <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 
Yeah, videos were uh, like we took a lot of pride in our videos, and oh, we still do. But back then, I remember it being a, a very big focus because we were doing videos on our own when we toured. Like we'd have a camcorder, and we would get you know we'd have to. This was a time of like VHS tapes, so we used to like do these VHS tapes and hand them out. And so videos were always a thing that we took a lot of pride in. And you know, ideas for videos just came around. Like the Into Deep video was actually a guy from our record label, our A&R guy named Lewis Largent, who had this idea to recreate the back to school, the, the movie back to school in a, into a music video. And so, you know, stuff just came, but I think the engagement with why people, I think probably liked the video so much is, you know, in Fat Lip and Into Deep, they, those were like real fans. Those are like real yeah. kids that were already into the band that were, came out and um, wanted to be a part of the video and just crazy stuff happened. And, you know, Fat Lip, there was no treatment. It was kind of just like invite fans from Pomona, California, because Pomona was like the only place that we could play on our own at the time. And sure. just have, and then we'll just film whatever happens. It's, there's, there's no treatment. You just show up and people, we just told people to bring whatever they wanted to bring. And, and, and we just filmed stuff and people got crazy and our director just filmed it all. It's amazing that and can, I'd imagine that these kids are looking back in that now and, and thinking, you know, that, that was one of the best times of my life. You know, that was at, the, at that time my favorite band and we're in their music video and it's been showing up over the world. Yeah. And actually, you know, with Fat Lip, we were, we were still like an unknown band. So it was like, you know, kids, those were people that just had seen us play at this a uh, place called the Glass House in Pomona for it was like an 800 seater club and that we'd play a bunch of times and and so those are just people that had discovered us through a show like we used yeah. to open for bands there and so you know I think the Into Deep video was a little different in the way because Fat Lip had already come out so we were already starting to get a little bit of success uh, but it was cool for Fat Lip to have these like kids that had discovered us not through MTV or radio but discovered us through just going to shows in Pomona. That's brilliant, eh? And when was the first time you, you came, over, came over to the UK? Was that on the back of that album? Or? Yeah, I remember coming over and playing the garage, or the garage in London. In Canada, um, yeah, yeah uh, and I, I think that was in 2001. I think that was just maybe before All Killer came out. Um, and I actually have a great story about Joe Strummer, too. Um, like, as we were going to he had he had a uh, radio show at the time, and we were going over for the first time. And uh, so this might have been, this might have even been uh, 2002 or, or something, but I forget the timelines. But I remember uh, our A&R our at the time really wanted us on his radio show. So we called him, he called him up and he said, you know, Sum 41's coming over. We'd love to get them on your radio show. And then he, so Joe Schumber calls our record company guy back and he leaves a message and he says, I love Sum 41. No I way. Love, yeah i know i he says i know their i know their riffs better than they do and uh it is. yeah so but the sad part of it is before we went over just a couple months prior he had passed away so we actually never got to be on a show and never got oh, to yeah, meet him. but uh i hope you know and i'm still so pissed off because I, I that that message was somewhere and i hope it was i hope he kept it we're trying to i'm still trying to figure out if we have that message somewhere that's something that you keep in, in show the grandkids if you ever have them as well isn't it it's, it's one of those yeah. things that the ultimate legend in, in your eyes almost. Yeah, uh, I mean, the Clash is one of my favorite bands of all time, so that's it meant a lot. Exactly, and I suppose there's there's so much Joe Strummer's done after after music as well. You know, he's as you said, he had these radio shows, and now you've got the Joe Strummer Foundation as well, continuing his legacy. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he's done a lot. Yeah. I suppose uh, what, what I should maybe ask you before we, we keep talking about the band is, I maybe pronounced your surname wrong at the start. Is it McCaslin? Yeah, you got it. Is that a, is that a Scottish or an Irish name, or is it? It's Irish, actually. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I thought you'd you'd maybe connected to Scotland in some way there, but you're distancing <laughs> yourself already. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. No. It's definitely it's definitely Irish. But um, like I said before, like I grew up um across the street when I was growing up when we were starting our bands back in Ajax. Across the street, I lived there for 20 years, and across the street was a a Scottish family, and still to this day. Um, he's his name's Ian. <laughs> he's one of my he's one of my best friends still. So that's amazing. I, yeah. I was I was worrying when I when I first got you on if you were going to struggle with the accent and, and seems seems to be going okay so far. So no problems here. <laughs> <laughs> What's your memories of playing in Scotland? Then I must have seen you many a times in Scotland back in the day, and you played shows at the Barrowlands, which is probably the most famous venue in in Scotland. And uh, I remember actually he's playing out. I don't know if you remember this. Who was it with? It was out at Brayhead, which is in the outskirts of Glasgow. Okay. Almost like an old ice rink that was there. I can't remember who you guys were playing with. But yeah, I've played so many shows in Glasgow over the years. What's your, your experience with Scottish crowds in comparison to other places across the world? Yeah, I find the Scottish crowds to be the the roughest. <laughs> like <laughs> rough in, in a like a way, way of in a good way, in a great way, yeah. yeah. We always I always say like if people ask me about Scotland and Glasgow and playing there, I'm always like if if, if people in the crowd in Scotland doesn't walk out with some kind of injury or bloody nose or missing some kind of you know, shoe or a shirt, they're exactly. not happy. They want to go home with one one converse on and and no t-shirt to <laughs> yeah yeah broken nose or whatever uh exactly. but yeah i mean playing in scotland like yeah barrowlands has always been amazing but i do remember in 2001 when everything was hitting and into deep was out we had taken the money buddy boss tones that was um, it yes it was and it, i think it's it was yeah, secc right was the place yeah, i think it was meant to be at the secc and then for whatever reason they rescheduled at the brayhead arena which okay. is just about Outside of it, yeah, but it was certainly it was the Boston's that were supporting you guys. Yeah, that's right, and that was huge because um, you know D- Dickie and the Boston's they put out Half Hour Power, and they no, and they actually yeah they, on their label called Big Rig, and uh, and and they also took us on Half Hour Power. They took us across the U.S. So that would have been in two thousand. That was only probably a year prior. So Brilliant. it was huge for us to be able to you know take them on tour, which yeah. was just insane at the time, you know. It's almost total role reversal there, isn't it? It's just crazy, yeah, because they'd been doing it for so long. and But, uh, you know, I think they had a good time. It seems like they always put on a fantastic live show as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was that was probably the biggest, uh, you know, band at the time we had toured with in, on Half Hour Power. So, um, yeah, I mean, their shows were always, and still are, still amazing. Yeah. I suppose talking about bands that you've collaborated with and bands that you've toured with, there's been so many over the years, but is there any specific that, that jump out? I actually feel that even going into the studio, it's not just been, like, obviously the Boston's are a ska band, but it's not all been punk bands, has it? There's been like Ja Rule, Metallica, Ludacris, Tenacious D, etc. Yeah, yeah, I think and I think probably the, the, the most fun and, and, the, and the person that we've stayed the mo- in, the, in most touch with um, is Iggy Pop. Um, we did a yeah. s- song with him in 2003 for his album Skull Ring. And uh, yeah, I mean, we still email each other a couple times a year. 
um, we, we ended up playing with him a bunch, like just as like his backing band, like, you know, we did the song on Letterman. We did this, the song and lust for life on like an award, uh, a Latin award show and, and an award show up in Toronto. So yeah, I think he, that's, that was the one that I still look back and think it was, you know, one of the coolest things that we've done as a collaboration. And how do these things come about? Does, I suppose, uh, would he approach you or would you guys approach him or what, what's the, the background to that? Yeah, in that circumstance, he he approached us. He was doing this new album, and um, I guess they were throwing names around. And you know, I, I remember our manager calling Derek and saying, you know, Iggy, Iggy wants to call you and talk to you about a song, like doing a song. And so he called Derek, and they chatted for a bit about a direction of you know what they wanted the song to sound like. And and I think Derek got off the phone and started writing writing it right away. And then we got That's together amazing. in the studio in L.A. Yeah, and it was. And, and Iggy liked it. Iggy liked the vibe of the song. And, and then we went into the studio for a couple of days in LA and just recorded it. It's interesting you mentioned that, Lee, because I feel that for a lot of bands and punk bands especially, that they always tend to go towards LA. But you seem to have kept to your roots and stayed in Toronto or Canada. Is there any reason behind that? Or is it not appealing well, to you? Yeah, I mean, mainly because I, I, I like LA, but I don't, I, I, I've never really had the urge to live there like I love visiting it you know I have tons of friends there but I don't know I just really and I have a lot of friends in Toronto my family's all in Toronto my wife's family's in Toronto um so it, it was just one of those things that we just never had the urge to want to live there but I still love visiting it and is the rest of the band stayed in Canada as well or are they uh Dave Dave's still in Toronto like he's in the Toronto area Derek's in LA um Tom is in New York City and our you know, drummer Frank's in LA as well. So we're all, how, we're all scattered. Oh, scattered. How does that affect your, your writing process then? Is that, would you guys put, put some stuff together and email it over to each other or do you wait till you're together? Yeah, that's how, it, that's kind of how we do it now is it's, it's, it's super easy now. We all have home studios. Um, and so we even recorded the last album order in decline in our own homes. Like we didn't even get together to record together. Yeah, so we just file shared. We just sent sent Pro Tools sessions to each other and uh, went back. You know, and being apart was was fine because we're still in contact with each other. We still hop on the phone and talk about stuff, um, and you know what we want to get out of it. And we, we were still together for a lot of the pre production of it. Like we got together in LA for all the pre production of the of the yeah. album. So we were in a room together for that. But then when it's come to it's time to record, it's everyone can just go do it on their own, right? Like we've of course. Just, we've done it enough. We know how to do it. We all have great gear in our own home studios, so um, it's just it's it's easy and it's cheaper. It's watch funny how at the, at the start of the conversation we were talking about watching uh, music videos on VHS, and now we're talking about sending files to each other over the internet to record a, a whole album. It's just crazy how the world's changed over the years, isn't it? And yeah. Do you think that's a positive or a negative for the, the music scene? No, I think it's good. I mean, it's probably bad for recording studios. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you, know, you know, I remember recording all those early albums and it's just so expensive. And and then there's time restrictions, right? You know, it's like you, you have these two or three days allotted to play bass on the whole album. And so you sit there and you're just trying to, you know, get through, get through the takes and make them as good as possible. And you know that, you know, each day is costing you a thousand bucks and, you know, and you're paying for the engineer and the producer and all this, all, everything is time, you know, it's time constraint and uh, recording at your house. You know, I was just, I'd go down, I'd eat, eat breakfast, 
go down my pajamas to my basement, record for as long as I wanted to, come back, listen to it. So it was just, it was, it was super comfortable. And yeah, it's I not could, like I a constant to watching the clock, is it? Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, it costs a fraction of what we used to do albums for. So that's also good. And, and, they, and they still sound as good or better. <laughs> do you so. feel that you... You feel that you guys have to do more live shows now because there's, there's people not buying as much CDs and a lot of things now on Spotify or Apple Music. And is that something uh, that you've noticed over the years, or does it not really affect you guys? We, for us, it's it's always just kind of been the same. We've always just toured a lot. Um, you know, where where money comes from is kind of the same as it always has been. Like it's you have to you really as a rock band, you just really got to tour to to make a living. So. And we've always done it no matter what. Um, so it, it, we, it's never, nothing's really, the industry seems to be changing around us, but our band seems to be the same. <laughs> like we don't think of, of anything any, any differently, except now there's like social media. So there's like that aspect to it um, where there wasn't when we started, there was no Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. But every, our mentality has never changed. How do you feel interacting with the fans? Is that something that you, you feel quite comfortable with or do you feel... Now, you guys are a fairly big band, especially in the States and over here in Canada, and it must be one of these things where do you get to switch off or are you constantly, if you're on social media, people are constantly wanting to speak to you and wanting you to reply? And yeah. Because it's got positives and negatives, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I um, I, I find that okay. Like, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And I even remember when MySpace came out, uh, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Like, you, you could constantly talk to fans and message fan, uh, message back to fans and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, for me, I don't have a problem doing it. I know a lot of people don't do it. Um, the one thing is I, I try not to read a ton of comments. Like if I go on YouTube um, and, our, and our new videos up, I try not to read any comments. I don't want to get too high or too low. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't want it to feel like it's the best thing in the world. And I also don't want to think it's the worst thing in the world. So um, and I comments I try to read here. With social media, it tends to be the people that shout the loudest. They're either infatuated with it or they want to totally slate you. There's never like a a, a normal comment, so to speak, in, in one of these YouTube videos. Yeah, and you know, you could have the biggest fan in the world that just doesn't like that particular video or particular song, and they're going to say something about it. And I, I just, I'd rather not read it. Um, yeah. You know, I like I said, like I just don't want to feel shitty about something, and I don't want to feel too happy about something. I just want to stay in the you know in the same medium zone and just kind of go about our business the way we want to do it quite right quite right no no outside influence on on that world world for you yeah uh, what would you say Cohen, in terms of you guys have all like you mentioned you've known Derek and the guys since high school almost was that was it high school you said yeah 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 we met uh, when we were 14 in ninth grade he's ever well I'd imagine the answer to this is yes but I'd imagine you've had many fallouts over the years uh yeah i mean fallouts will happen in bands all the time um i mean nothing huge i mean the biggest thing was when you know derek obviously had a drinking problem uh and he had health issues because of it um him and i didn't talk for probably over a year okay uh was that that hard for you i'd imagine especially if you have toured with someone and been so close to them for many many years Oh yeah, it sucked because we were really good friends, and um, you know it's tough to see him go through all that stuff. But, but I think you know after the Scream Bloody Murder tour, we just kind of went our separate ways and weren't thinking about the band 
Um, and so that was probably the biggest thing that's ever happened. But then, you know, it, you just have little skirmishes here and there. You know, it's it's like living with brothers on on, on this tube on wheels, and you have and you're in close quarters, and everyone has opinions, and uh, so you're you're bound to get into little fights and and battles here and there, but nothing major. Like nothing's been super crazy in our career. Um, That's it, and I, I think it's amazing. It, it speaks volumes that you guys are all still friends and all still together as well. Yeah, and I think that's what's kept us together is that we were friends before we were in a band together. Yeah, um, which, is, which is a big thing. When it, when it starts becoming a business or a job for you as well, it can put external pressures on you. And it seems that you guys have got through that and come out the other end fine. Yeah, I think we've all we've all come like we're not green anymore. We know we know the music business way you know obviously better than when we were kids. Um, starting out um, it was all new to us we didn't know you know we just didn't even know what was going on basically you know we kind of let our management and stuff handle all of the business affairs but now we kind of know everything and we're in control of everything and uh, so we just we just kind of just go about our business and we know how to deal with stuff better now what, what do you do in your downtime then so you're, you're off today was it for three four weeks you said uh, we're off for six weeks right now um what do you do to relax when you're away from music then? Do you do a bit of producing as well, don't you? I'll tell you, I get more sleep on tour now than I do at home uh, because I have <laughs> two kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, two young kids. Are they kids? Are they, oh, are they yeah, I got a four-year-old boy and a 10-month-old little girl. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 so, it's, it's crazy now because it's like I go on tour to catch up on sleep now. Before. that's crazy <laughs> and so yeah like so before when i was in my 20s and stuff tour, it was you go on tour and you party and stay up all night now i go on tour i'm like oh, i just want to go to bed so i can catch up <laughs> i've no kids screaming about you <laughs> yeah. Would, yeah. would you ever take the, the family on tour with you uh yes i th- i think eventually once they're a little older i mean they come out like we'll i'll fly them out if you know we're playing somewhere close ish in the u.s He'll come out and see shows. My four-year-old boy just loves the band. He's obsessed with it. Amazing. He basically sings in too deep all day long. Um, <laughs> watches our videos on YouTube. And so I can't even get away from our band when I'm home because he's constantly singing it and watching it. There's something really, really sweet about that, though, is it? Like, a lot of parents would love for their, their kids to think that their parents are their hero. And they'd probably admire some baseball player or, or football player or so. But it looks like uh, you've actually got your son looking up to you. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, I just I hope that he has other interests as well. <laughs> like he seems like he's just, which is cool. Like I, I like that he's in the music. It's really good for him to be in music and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's like obsessed with it right now. It's that's the only thing he ever wants to do. Which would you, know, you would you throw a guitar at him? Would you would you get him involved? Oh, he's got guitars. He's got pianos. He's got drums. He's got he's got it all. Um, so he's just kind of playing everything. That's amazing. So yeah. we're, we're, we're going to be seeing a, a new Sum, a mini Sum 41 coming out of Toronto in the next 10, 15 years. <laughs> He's gunning for our job, that's for sure. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So what, what else do you do to relax then when, when you're not on tour? Or what, what, what's your, uh, what have you got planned for the next six weeks? Uh, I don't know. Not a ton. I just kind of let my wife uh, <laughs> make all the plans. Because <laughs> right, right. you know, I'm never home. So I'm just like, you know, whatever you want. Let's just do whatever you are wanting to do and you know i like the other thing i like to do is golf so i'm trying to get out with my friend i haven't golfed at all this year so i'm going to try and golf with some of my friends 
um, and that kind of stuff. It just kind of like, and then, you know, we're on the next album tour. I mean, on the next tour, which starts in late September, we're going to start playing a lot of new songs from Order and Decline. So I'm going to start brushing up because, you know, I haven't played those songs since I recorded them, which is almost a year ago now. So I have to relearn my own parts. Of course. And do you get, I'm guessing you guys get together to rehearse before you go on tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have pretty extensive rehearsals for that because we, you know all these songs we haven't played live before, so we have to get together and work it all out. Brilliant. And where would you do that? Would that be in Canada? I think we're actually going to rehearse possibly in Nashville because we're starting the tour in Kentucky. Amazing. So we might, uh, yeah, we just kind of we, normally we we do it in LA because Derek lives there and rehearsal spaces. You know, there's yeah, tons, tons, there's tons. Yeah, it's easier. But I think this time we're going to do something a little different. What can we expect from the, the Offspring co-headline tour? That's going to be cool. Uh, I don't know how long we're playing, but I think it's going to be an hour, an hour 15, or an hour 10, or an hour 5, somewhere around the hour. But I, and I think they'll be doing the same or a little bit more. Um, but, I mean, these are these are cities in Canada that we've rarely played. They're like smaller cities. Um, so it's going to be cool to hit those because we haven't – you know, normally in Canada you play a lot of the major cities – uh, yeah. but this one, this one's going to go through a lot of smaller cities, which is which is awesome. And we haven't done a lot of Canada in the last few years, so we uh, we really want to start playing Canada more. It's our home country. So, do you feel that there's a real affinity there when you come back home and play? Yeah, I mean, we just did a home home show in Toronto um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was amazing. It was the biggest Toronto show I think we've ever done in our career. Um, so, yeah, I think. You know, it's also we haven't played Toronto for a long time, like since 2016, and it was a, it was a club of like a thousand people. So I think yeah. um, we we've, we've been wanting to play Toronto more, and 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 I think our fans have been <laughs> wondering why we haven't been <laughs> playing Toronto more. But, uh, <laughs> They're getting insulted. So, yeah, left, left them behind. Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, we're gonna try and do it a lot more. <laughs> you got Toronto on this this one with the offspring, is that? No, well, just because. We just played Toronto, so I think we're doing a we're doing a like a suburb of Toronto again. It's called St. Catharines, which is about an hour outside of Toronto. Have you got any festivals lined up for the summer, or is he's off November then? Or? Uh, festivals, just a couple. Nothing, no, because we're off for the next six weeks, and then we have a couple festivals in in uh, October in the U.S. during you know during our headlining tour. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time, Con. Really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been is, a good time. Is, is there anything else that you want to get in that we've maybe not discussed? Or? No, I mean, the only thing is, I mean, we're still working on a, a UK and, uh, you know, European tour for 2020. So we'll see you definitely next year. Fantastic. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah.